Hello, I'm Jen Taylor, host of the Design Your Wedding Business Podcast. I am letting you know that I have created a great quiz that will help you figure out which of the eight CEOs you need to be working on and the tasks that would benefit you the most. I hope you hop down to the show notes, click the link and take the quiz. I promise it's a quick two minute quiz. And I can't wait to see what your feedback is. Thank you. Hey, I'm Jen Taylor, and you're listening to Design Your Wedding Business. As a wedding business coach, I've made it my mission to help creative entrepreneurs build streamlined workflows, processes, and procedures so they can grow their business and spend time on what they love the most, their craft, their family, and their lives. I understand how you feel, and I know it may not be fun to put in the work to build a well-oiled machine, but luckily for you, that's what I love to do. On this podcast, I'm teaching you how to take the stress and chaos out of your business, remove the guesswork, and discover a clear, profitable path to sustainable growth. Let's get started. Hello, this is Jen Taylor of the Design Your Wedding Business Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Jordan about creating a brand strategy for the wedding business you want. Why is developing a brand strategy important? A strong brand is critical for building connections with customers. A successful brand strategy can help improve loyalty, drive brand awareness, build repeat business, and inspire word of mouth marketing and referrals. Jordan Kentris is the founder and owner of a boutique design firm, A Good Day, which was created to serve planners and their eclectic couple, one-of-a-kind stationery that establishes a unique brand for each event. Jordan is a UX designer by trade and utilizes his experience to work with business owners on their branding. An innovator in the industry, he was recognized by BizBash as one of the most innovative people in 2020, as well as a finalist for the NACE One Award Innovator of the Year. I would like to welcome Jordan to the podcast. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the Design Your Wedding podcast. You know, we're talking about branding. This is all about creating the brand. So what is a brand strategy? Thanks, Jen. Um, There's a couple of different ways you can kind of approach it. So for me, a brand strategy is really how you frame up a brand, who you're speaking to, what it represents, what are the values. And a strategy to me is a document we kind of put together that defines those things that you can then take to your team, to yourself, just to kind of reset yourself anytime things are coming up. And what that looks like is, you know, typically a mission statement, like a brand ethos. What are the kind of values? And then for me, one of the biggest parts is kind of who is the brand serving? So who are your ideal customers? Which can be built in a lot of different ways. We don't have to touch on it too much, but really understanding who they are, what they're looking for, where they shop, and how you can kind of market towards them and how your brand serves them. A brand strategy also can define the design side, like the aesthetic side of the brand. So it can define the colors, the font, the typography, the style of imagery, what brands your brand aligns with. So are there competitor brands that you're going to go up against or are there like brands you might partnership within like an offering perspective? So you can define those things as well and how you aesthetically present yourself. So there's a few different ways. There's the business side and the creative side can kind of all ladder up into what a brand strategy is. Okay. So then that goes into what is not a brand. For me, it's really 
a brand isn't just one thing. So sometimes people are like, well, my brand, you like think of Victoria's Secret. You like associate the color pink with them right away. But I wouldn't say Victoria's Secret's brand is pink. That's not it. That's part of their brand, but I wouldn't say that is the only piece. So for me, a brand is a definition of a lot of different things. It's not just one thing. A lot of little pieces that add up to a much broader piece. The other thing from a brand perspective, I wouldn't say is a tone of voice. So the way that you speak. So, you know, it's a little bit of a murky area, but, you know, let's say I typically swear a lot. Swearing isn't my brand. That's not really part of my brand. It might be a way that my brand presents itself because my brand is, you know, irreverent, it's quirky, it's unique, it's, you know, off the cuff. That might be how I would define my brand. And then swearing is a way it's kind of executed. It wouldn't necessarily be like the way that I present it where the definition gets broken down. Okay. So it's funny that you don't, you know, like a brand is a lot of the, you know, both sides. You've got the creative side where people normally go when they think of their brand is it's my colors, it's my logo, my fonts, all of that. And you're saying, yes, that's a part of it. But then also you need to add in, and this can be, I mean, I think a lot of people do this before they come up with a brand. And then this is where I think a lot of people miss the boat is they don't work on their ideal client first. So, so, I mean, it's like, oh, I want, you know, I'll start off with mine. I want a pineapple. Well, the pineapple, you know, was the hospitality part of what I do. And it symbolizes more than just my love of Maui. But the pineapple is a hospitality symbol. But there was no other thought around it. When I came up with tailored events, it wasn't, you know, the logo I sent to a lot, you know, and she sent me all these things, did all the whole, you know, what's your world about and all of that. And when she first made the logo itself, it had a needle as the L for tailored. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. And she had little stitchings around the, you know, I'm like, that is all good. But if somebody sees that, they're going to see me as a seamstress or a dressmaker. I said, that is not what I do. So when you start looking at those things as, you know, a newer planner, or you're looking at changing your, your, the way people see you, make sure that, you know, that logo reflects you as well, and not just who you serve, because that logo is going to be with you, hopefully for the remaining of your business life. But then also looking at all the other parts of it, what's your ideal client, what's going to speak to them as well. Yeah, it's important. For me, my background in advertising has given me, I think, a unique perspective, because I've seen a lot of different ways that these can kind of be approached. But oftentimes I see when we're defining our ideal client, we typically think of the like surface level things. They make so much money. They're looking for this kind of style of an event. They live in the suburbs. You know, they like these things. They don't like these things. And for me, it's the action pieces that are often missing. So one thing I like to define is, you know, where do they shop? What kind of brands do they do? Where do they look for things? What kind of food do they eat? What kind of like all the things that make them because you can design and cater to them and market to them in very specific, unique ways that speak directly to them. If I was like, let's create an ideal client. Her name is Susie. And this is a high level one that isn't going to be as useful. So her name is Susie. And, you know, her favorite color is white. And, you know, she's getting married in a banquet hall. And that's her persona. I'd be like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. Like I can, that's basically any bride. Like it's very big. But if I were to say, Susie um, collects antique dolls and shops at antiquaria and anthropology and is vegan and, you know, goes to the farmer's market every Saturday, 
That's a very different way I could talk to them. And they use TikTok as their main social media source for inspiration and go, okay, cool. I'm going to market them on TikTok. I'm going to use the same language and same design cues as some of the brands that they shop because then you automatically associate and align. So you can tailor a lot of those pieces. And if you have multiple customers, you can tailor your messaging in multiple different ways, which is how you start to slice and dice versus Susie who likes the color white. So how would you go about auditing a brand? Maybe somebody's, you know, wedding industry they're in and they're like that design, you know, I kind of want to dig in more to who I want to talk to. I know now who I want to talk to. How do you go about auditing that yourself as a, you know, as a person you're like, okay, Jordan's great, but right now I just want to kind of come in and say, okay, how do I audit my own brand? So the first thing is doing that bit of like the homework. Who are we talking to? How are we talking to them? What's worked? What's not worked within my existing clientele? Because that can really be a huge factor. Because Jen, to your point, if you kept, and let's pretend you move forward with the Seamstress logo, and you are getting a lot of inquiries for people who are a little bit more crafty or you know, assume that you take on a lot a different kind of work, you would immediately know, okay, the kind of clients that I've been serving are not aligning to the way that I want to be aligning. So taking a look at your existing clientele, who are some of your favorite projects? Were they profitable? How can I replicate those kind of pieces? And what does that reflect from a brand perspective? Then a literal audit happens within your brand. So going through and documenting your logo, documenting your typography, your fonts, your colors, where you've marketed in the past, both from an, a paid advertising perspective, as well as a free profiles, Instagram, social, like any of those kind of things. Document those things, what's working, what's not working. And when you audit, I'm a really big believer in auditing your competitors at the same time. Where do they stand? Do the same kind of process from a visual aesthetics perspective, a presentation perspective. What kind of a, events are they showcasing? Because that's the kind of work that they're going to keep getting. So one thing to note for folks, it's challenging when your portfolio isn't where you want it to be. But when you keep showing the work that you don't want to be doing, people only think you do that work. It's like, remember for a few years ago, there was the Naked Cakes for bakers and they kept posting Naked Cakes. And they're like, I don't want to do Naked Cakes again. And I'm like, stop posting Naked Cakes because people are like, you do Naked Cakes. <laughs> but it's very hard. I get it. But you know, you have to shift the conversation without people asking you. Because then as soon as you start shifting, then they're like, oh, they do these things now, as well as those things that they used to do. But then you can guide that conversation to say, now we do this. So it's really important to look at your competitors in all of this and do the same kind of exercise to see how they're presenting themselves, how they're positioning themselves, where they're marketing and align and make sure that either you want to match that or if you want to be different, like be different. Yeah, I have a, and, a planner friend who, you know, she had the same look for years and she's like, how, you know, and she's finally, she's like, I look at my portfolio and it's the same thing. I'm like, yes, because you've been showing the same thing forever. So what are you going to do? You know, you have other things, but you keep showing the same thing over and over again. So I've seen that in real life. Yeah, it does happen. And you don't really realize it because you're like, well, this is the content that I have. I'm really proud of this for what it was at the time. And so I'm going to keep showing it because that's really it. And, you know, there is some aversion around style shoots speaking too much of your portfolio because it's not always the most realistic approach. So you got to find ways of peppering in that content to get there. Or, you know, for me, when you want to do those things, I typically upgrade a client a little bit. So I'm not investing a ton of extra money, but I might just go a little bit over and above to do a little bit more or crop a photo a certain way 
or you don't get to tell like the magic of photography is you don't have to tell the full story of what actually happened. You can stylize a couple little pieces and then use that to keep telling more of that story until the work starts to look more of what you want to be doing. Yes, correct. So when they're doing this, what are the, you know, like in my head, I'm already thinking like, okay, I need to sit down and look at my competitors and see what they're doing or what they're not doing. And how do I want to position my own, you know, my company within that area that, you know, that playground, I'm not looking at changing anything else. So I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to be looking at that. So when I'm looking at my competitors, what am I looking at besides where they're marketing, what they look like? Are you looking at services? What are the things that you should be digging into? Yes, most definitely. So once you've kind of established or starting to dig in on the brand side, then you want to look at how that ladders, how does that get executed? So for me, one of the biggest pieces is your kind of customer journey. So what happens from before they even inquire to after an event is done? That's the biggest area to kind of dig into and areas for improvement and make sure that the new brand, you know, vision and way it's being presented is aligned every step of the way. So if your brand as a value stands for customer service, you should make sure that every single touch point that happens during their customer's journey is top level customer service. That at the end of the day, the review is Jen was so attentive to me. She made sure I got everything every step of the way. And I could not have done it with like, you want them to be able to speak to the value without you having to prompt it. And so you want to kind of hammer those things through. So make sure that you're looking through all the steps that a person's taking. And the reason I say is pre-inquiry is because that's where they're doing research. They might be visiting your website. They might be seeing you on social media, but you don't know who they are. So you got to make sure you're putting your best foot forward. It might be a profile on, you know, a vendor directory. Again, you're just putting yourself out there and hoping that is captivating enough that someone then wants to contact you. And so it's really important to not forget about those spaces because oftentimes we just leave them there because they just exist. And so we're like, that's there. I did it three years ago. And you're like, yes, but is, is it there? That What's going to be now? Is it selling you the same way? Is there old pricing? Is there like, you got to make sure and clean up and just review those things a little bit over time. The second piece is I find it really important to talk to existing clients and prospects from a research-based perspective. And by that, I mean, aside from getting to know them, always be, you know, mining the data, so to speak. So like when I'm talking to them, get insights that I can then use to continue evolving my brand, my messaging, my next ideal customer, because it evolves over time. Like who you serve this year is not necessarily the same person you serve next. It might evolve slightly. It doesn't literally mean like I only did a black and white client. it It does. But you might be like, the budget increases slightly or the design style increases slightly because you evolve as a designer and a planner and a business owner. That's, I think, the other piece that we tend to forget is as a business, we also evolve alongside of our clients. So we don't always align to those things. You might present a trend being like, listen, I know how to do these things aesthetically that's there. And if that's not part of your brand, don't do that. You are a classic and timeless brand. Don't go chasing trends. But those are the kind of things you want to be thinking about as you're approaching this. Like, where does that live? And then the third thing for me in the digital world is to constantly check in on your site, on your like your website, your social media, and always be making small tweaks. In the you know old world where we were all taking out print ads, you'd be stuck with something for like at least a year. Or I print a business cards and they have them for three or four years, and that's it. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's my logo. <laughs> I mean, it can change, but 
the magic of the internet is like things can change on the fly. And a person who visits your website or your social media right now does not know necessarily what it looked like yesterday. Correct. Instagram is a little bit different, but you know, stories and those kind of yeah. pieces. So, but your website, especially, that's just the only space on the internet that you own that's your own. And I'm a very big advocate that you can constantly be tweaking that because that evolution is encouraged. That's why it is the way it is on the internet. And so I'm a big believer in constantly updating and keeping things a little bit current so that A, it doesn't look stale, but B, you can pivot in very slight ways over time a lot more rapidly than like, ta-da, here's my rebrand and I'm now going to like push this out for three weeks. And then, you know, that we talk about my brand, like the rollout plan for a brand relaunch is very big, potentially. Whereas you can do things in very subtle ways, like by changing your style of photography over a six-month period to eventually get to those kind of things. So you can find ways of peppering those in. So I encourage constant check-ins in your brand, but also constant evolution. And then when you're looking at your ideal client, looking, I mean, I looked at mine, I'll, you know, every year I'd kind of go through and say, okay, what did I like about my clients this year? What didn't I like about yes. my clients? And just kind of look at that and say, you know, cause yeah, when I started in 2004, you had the magazine, we didn't have all this stuff. And so now, oh, you know, yeah. even, you know, five, 10 years later, you're starting to get into this and you're starting, you know, the, all the stuff and you're like, okay. This is not who I want. This is not who I need. I have evolved. And you yes, you do evolve as a business owner. So taking the time to look at your own self and say, what clients did I like? What clients do I want more of? What clients were kind of, you know, open sheep? I mean, I had a client, she was freaking ideal. But at the end, she was not. And I'm like, did I miss something along the way? Or was I, you know, I had other things going on in my own personal life that kind of changed things. And what, or was it a mixture of both? But look at that and look and say, okay, who I like, who I don't, you know, first start, I worked with a ton of moms, the kids were out of town, all of that, you know, do I want to work with all of moms? No, I want to work with an older bride. Oh, and you know, that's, it's an evolution for sure. You kind of touched on a really good point when you're defining your ideal client. I also include red flags, like watchouts. It's really important to have those documented somewhere because you kind of can't ignore it. <laughs> like It's there. And so those are things that might be deal breakers for you. Like maybe you have, you don't like working with mothers of the bride and then the mother of the bride is super involved. And you're like, okay, even though you might be ideal on paper, this is going to be a challenging project for me. And then I can evaluate if I want to take this on or not and either set really clear boundaries or, you know, take the risk or no, thank you. Good luck. All the best to you. I wish I could help, but you know, I'm not it's able to not take the right. You just say it's just not the right fit. You don't have to take everybody. No, I don't encourage anyone to take any, everybody. The biggest piece of probably business advice I've received that's finally sinking in <laughs> in the past few years is it's okay to say no. Or put a really big, I call it the pain in the ass factor. You know, if there's yes. something you're like, you know, it's intriguing to me. I want to look at it. I want to maybe dig into this. Okay, then you're going to get a, you don't know what I'm going to charge you, but in that number is going to be a, you know, a pain in the ass as I'm going to be, absolutely. I'm going to, my boundaries are going to be stretched or I'm going to be stretched as a business owner because of whatever, but I'm intrigued by the entire process of your event. So yes, I'll do it. I'm, you know, repainting the aspect, resentment factor, whatever you want to call it, that money is in there because you're going to have talent. You're going to need it. Take a spot. You're going to go, I want this. I need this money because you are driving me crazy. Yeah. 
So, okay. So the three things were really just, you know, look at those things, you know, four things, look at your website, make sure you're tweaking, look at your ideal clients, look at those good flags and red flags, you know, where do you want to go? And then social media, just looking at, you know, making those tweaks. And it's something to think about. This is going to come out probably February, March-ish. And so it's, you know, you're still in that beginning of the year phase. So you can do something to look at. I think I've mentioned my own process when I was a planner was, you know, I looked at all of that twice a year because you're getting clients for the next year in, you know, June. So look at it then and say, okay, just do a little check-in and look at those three things. Okay. Yeah, we're still all good. And then at the end of the year, you're going in for the next year. So now for the rest of 20, you know, like I do in June for 2024 and then again in December for 2024, because you're still, you know, You've changed. Maybe something happened during the wedding season. You're like, oh, this is never gonna. <laughs> You're like, more red flags. <laughs> more red flags. More of like, all of a sudden you found your ideal client. Like maybe that just walked right. in the door and you're like, I want 20 of you every single year. Okay, so dig into that. You know, yeah, you have- it's really important important to do those audits. I really love that you're touching on that because like, and it doesn't have to be, uh, I'm going to spend a week digging into a million different things. It's literally just a gut check in, and then you can dive deeper if you need to, but it's just the constant process of, am I in the right spot? Do I want to be somewhere else? What do I need to do to get there? And then bing, 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 check, 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 check. Okay, I think we're in a good spot. Or I need to dive a little bit deeper. How do I set this project up in the next you know, few weeks to get this out of the way? Yeah. So if, it's just healthy. It's like accounting. Like just do yeah. a check-in. Yeah, like if you get that ideal client that you want 20 more of them, ask them questions. Ask them those things. Ask yes. them where they shop. Ask, you know, because that's part of my own ideal client list is... You know, and when I taught this, I didn't teach branding, but I taught wedding planning. And I, you know, and and that was one of the things when we talked about creating your ideal client, you dig in deep. Where do they shop? You know, like you said, where they grocery shop? Do they do CrossFit or do they do Pilates and yoga and bar? Do they, you know, where they work? All these, like I was getting a ton of lawyers. I'm like, okay, I like working with lawyers. I'm very analytical with that. So, you know, find out who you are and then ask them questions. It's okay. They're now your client, but you can ask them like, hey, these are things I need to, you know, do you have more friends like you? And that's the, you know, that's always the question, you know, but you're also going, there's more people like you out there. So I want to know more about you as a person, my wonderful client. There's some really cool ways you can talk to your clients, even during onboarding about, you know, what they're looking for from a service provider. And that can help inform you, especially when they are clients. So like Jen, if you were talking to your lawyer clients, you might be like, well, what kind of language are you looking for during the sales process that helps you from a conversion perspective? Because like lawyers, I work with a few of them, are you know all about process and documentation and you know really clear language. They want to know what they're getting, what they're not getting. Like it's very black and white in their deliverables, and they want that set out. So then you know you can understand those things to address that, and you can talk about that in your. You have a process page, and you have a lot of law clients or you know those kind of things. You can talk about what is your bench strength in those practices and how you serve those kind of clients. Like that's the cool thing about doing this kind of research is you can then use language that those kind of clients are familiar with that speaks directly to them that then they're like, Oh, this person gets me aside from your aesthetic aligns with mine. It's like, Oh, your process aligns with mine. I know your contract is going to be succinct in the case of a lawyer. You know, it's going to be the ways that are what they're looking for or they have clarity for. So I think that that's an awesome 
nugget you can draw out of people is, you know, what do you look for? What don't you look for? And it's less on you because you start to get involved emotionally. So you don't be like, well, why did you book things one good way? Oh, I saw you in X media place. Cool. Awesome. That doesn't mean my ideal client will necessarily do that. But when, you know, what was the trigger that caused you to book me? Might be, I loved your personality. Okay, I got to make sure my personality is front forward. I loved your whatever. Okay, put that forward. I didn't like this or this was unclear to me. Okay, let's improve that for the next one. So those are really easy things you can do to get those insights without having to figure it out through trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, use that, you know, and then at the end, I always gave them a questionnaire and this is more marketing, but it's still things that you can put into your brand is, you know, what are the three things that you struggled with on the way in before you hired me? And what did I alleviate in the, you know, what three things did I help you alleviate the stress of wedding planning? And I would get that. And that would be just more information for me for both, you know, the marketing side, but also who I wanted to talk to. So there's some things out there. Do your brand. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta work on my own. I do a little branding on it myself. I might do that next week. So this is a question I ask everybody. So if I interview, this is the last question. What is your best mindset advice? Done is better than perfect is really the thing that I've been living by for the past like 15 years. It's really hard sometimes because I'm also a perfectionist, but I have to realize that I could sit there and spin forever. And so the biggest mindset shift for me and the thing that I encourage in all my clients is put something out there and evolve it. Keep evolving it because, you know, I've sat on projects for years because I'm not ready to share them with the world. And that's years of lost revenue or failed startups that never even got there. So I don't know if it's a valid idea because I'm still sitting on it. (laughs) You're still spinning it. Yes. Yeah, I'm still ruminating. So I think for me, that's probably the biggest mindset mantra that I kind of live by. And I think a lot of wedding professionals are in that same mindset. So, you know, done is better than perfect. Yes, I do agree. Because I'm in the same, I've always been in the same boat with that one. And I'm like, there's things like, okay, just go do it. Yeah, I'm like, that's just it. That's what's going to look like. That's what it's going to be. I mean, the amazing thing is oftentimes clients, and we don't really put these two pieces together. They don't know what they don't know. We know what we know. They have been doing this for, you know, however many years. They don't know. They're not a florist or any of those kind of things. And so I'm not saying you have to cut a corner, but if it's not perfect, you know, the best flower in the world, if it looks like their expectations, deliver it. Well, Jordan, thank you so much. I think we've got a lot of information, a lot of little homework options to work on for the branding (laughs) strategy. So I appreciate you being on and thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Design Your Wedding Business. If you love what you're learning each week, please let me know by leaving a rating and a review. And while you're there, don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on any new episodes. As always, you can head over to my website, jentaylorconsulting.com to check out all the links and resources from this episode in the show notes. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.